Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is Mark Bauerlein. Mark is a senior editor of First Things Magazine and an English professor at Emory University. He hosts the First Thoughts Podcast, uh, which First Things runs. And he's, he's the author of many books, including something brand new called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from stupefied youth to dangerous adults. So Mark, thanks very much for joining us. I'm, I'm very happy to join you there at, at City Journal. I've been reading it for a long time. Uh, you, you've, you've got such a great stable of, of writers. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going back to the first stuff I was reading by Heather McDonald and Saul Stern and Fred Siegel. And actually I'll say Heather's book, the burden of bad ideas, which really was a compilation. Weren't most of those pieces out of City Journal? Yes, that's that's year? right. That was her first uh, first book, and uh, it was a, a, a compilation mostly. But you know, the, the the essays were updated and turned into more of a straightforward narrative. But yeah, they they were all based on City Journal pieces. Well, that that was that was actually an important book for me because I was a very staunch liberal in academic English department and uh in the 90s and just reading some other things including heather's book uh opened things up for me and i started to drift a little to the right and uh one thing i find is found it was that if, if you once once you sort of move a little to the right and then you suddenly see a, a few suspicious looks on your your, your colleagues faces Kind of pushes you a little further to the right. <laughs> it's yes, kind yes. of a process that 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 yes. then uh, builds into an avalanche. Moving, moving in one direction, you just keep moving. It's true. Well, it's been been the case with you, Mark. Uh, I would say. Um, well, you know, let's let's talk about this new book. In a, in a way, it's an update, right, of your 2008 book, The Dumbest Generation, uh, which was published, you know, at a, at a period when a lot of optimistic observers uh, were were talking about the rise of the millennials. Uh, and seeing this, this generation as having been reared on the internet, raised in this information-dense world, they were pretty positive that um, they, were, they were going to usher in this kind of more just, more interconnected, and a better world once they grew up. And I, I, you know, I think even the most committed optimists these days about the uh, digital natives uh, would concede that that's not what's happened. So, you know, what's changed between the, the original book, The Dumbest Generation, and this 2022 version uh, about um, these dangerous adults? Well, that cheerleading for the millennials that we heard in 05, 06, 07, you know, they're, they're, they're so young and they're smart and they're innovative and they're ambitious. They're going to college in record numbers. They got these great, tolerant, open-minded uh, broad thinking attitudes. They they elected our first African American president. They went two to one for Obama. After, by the way, the Bush and Gore split the youth vote. But boy, did that change over the eight right. years' time. Uh, but that was really part of a general enthusiasm going on in the first decade of the third millennium for Web 2.0, as as it was called. People don't probably don't remember much that that term, but it was real hot in in those first years after social media and a more interactive participatory uh, uh, venue set in so that people could do things like uh, do product reviews. They could talk back. They weren't just passive couch potatoes 
uh, as TV watchers. And this was said to spark more critical thinking, more problem solving, uh, more active discerning consumption and commentary in American life and that the millennials would lead the way. Facebook had all this glamor uh, for Google and, and MySpace was beginning to fade after a few years there. Uh, Twitter just came along in 07, 08. And there was just an enthusiasm. It was this, the new millennium and the millennials are the ones who are, are going to define this epoch that we were in. And I looked at this and, and because of my old fashioned book, bookish ways, and saw, you know, between classes on the quad, all these students are staring at this little screen as they walk from building to building. They've been out of the network for, for 90 minutes, for an hour in class. You know, they got to check and see what's going on. I go up to the library and the library is not a, not a library anymore. It's an information center. They were wiring everything. All the classrooms were starting to have computers in them. And you know, I, I thought, you know, this, this really isn't a good thing for our culture. It's not a good thing for 15-year-olds to walk around with 200 photos of themselves in their pockets at all times. And that they were building, it was building a youth world around them that, you know, I couldn't share when I was that age, when I was 15. There was only one screen in the house. And it was, you know, with, with these guys, some Huntley Brinkley stuff for you know, some Walter Cronkite fellow that I wasn't interested in uh, talking about Watergate. Uh, but I didn't have another screen to go to. I didn't have another phone. There was only one in the house. It was on the wall. And it wasn't my phone. So I couldn't fabricate a youth reality for myself at all times. And they could. They have the tools now. They go in their bedroom. They shut the door. They've got the screens on. The music is playing. The TV is usually on. The media saturation was enormous and it was purveying youth stuff. Uh, it wasn't giving us the great universe of knowledge. You know, it was great. The universe had, uh, the internet had everything. YouTube had tons of great stuff. I, I would use clips from YouTube in my classes like of Jack Kerouac reading uh, from a book on the Steve Allen show. Uh, and yeah. while Steve Allen's playing his little tinkly blues piano, Kerouac is reading and he turned the show over to Kerouac for you know, three or four minutes, uh, that's great stuff. But that's not where the kids were going. Well, 15 year olds, they care about other 15 year olds. That's, what's, that's what matters. That's where the stakes are, right? Shunned by other 15 year olds, that's, that's, that's a fate worse than death for them. And so I, I thought they're not being prepared for the rigors of citizenship in a free republic. They are not getting the grown-up materials, the grown-up pressures of history and politics and current affairs and past affairs, great heroes, great villains, great love stories uh, from the ages that are kind of antidote to youth culture. You know, you get peer pressure and you need adult pressure. And they, they sort of season the young American to become, again, a... Uh, uh, a responsible citizen, ready for the rigors of pluralism. So they didn't get that. And uh, that book came out, the timing was right, I got lucky. I think people were sort of getting sick of hearing all the enthusiasm for the kids and for being online all the time. And there were a lot of accusations, this is just another Luddite complaint and just grandpa, get off my lawn about the young. 
uh, to which I said, you got that right. Uh, and 15 years later, here we are. And, and Brian, how are they doing? These millennials are not the confident, optimistic, ambitious characters they were when they were teenagers. There's kind of a sour mood that prevails. And I include, include in the book a lot of the social science data on them, these surveys and polls and self-reporting uh, numbers on depression is up and anxiety and narcissism. Who would have thought they'd become narcissists when we handed them a tool that would let them photograph the food they're going to ingest 10 seconds later and share it with everyone as if, as if that matters. Uh, the, they have high levels of social mistrust. They mm -hmm. are suspicious of their fellow citizens, much more so than older cohorts. Uh, and they have a vindictive, more vindictive sense of social affairs so that if they are, if they see an injustice happen, even a microaggression, tiny little microaggression, they really want to see punishment happen. There's a, there's a vengefulness in the millennial world. And that's why I have pages here on how they really lead the way on the cancel culture yeah. going on. They're willing to sign a petition with, with thousands of others to get someone fired for a dumb joke on, on, on. Yeah, there's, there's, there's really no forgiveness either. It's, it's very interesting. It's almost post-Christian in that sense. There, there's a mercilessness, an ungenerousness mm -hmm. about it. And, you know, you talk about, people talk about the woke thing as a religion. And it certainly has a lot of zeal, a lot of passions that go deep into the heart and, and, and soul. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, Joshua Mitchell talks about, he makes a whole, whole book on this issue that there really is, there's re, you repent, but the forgiveness doesn't, doesn't come. It is permanent guilt, yeah. permanent, permanent apology. That's the condition that, that you're in. And now it uh, operates along group, group lines, group identity lines and that this isn't making people happier. And I, I say the millennials are big on this because of what they didn't get when they were in those teenage years. They didn't get civilization in big terms. They didn't come to feel they're entering a world in which they stand in the wake, in the shadow of greatness, of brilliance, of genius, of the beautiful and the good. We know there are villains. We know that there are sins out there, but let's look, look let's let them realize what, what Valley Forge really demanded of Washington and, and those troops. Let's try to look at what, what Beethoven's ninth, you know, what, what, what heights does that reach? Let's look at you know, Gatsby and his idealization of love and right. reliving the past. Give the kids, and, and then of course, give them religion, give them some transcendent orientation. Well, so well that's that, right. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the major theme here is, is the kind of dominance of relativism. So I, I wonder you know, what the connection is with the, the proliferation of these narcissistic mirrors these these technologies and the dominance of relativism um, you know on, on most moral and cultural epistemological matters 
uh, young people are, and that this has been the case for a while now, denying the possibility of objective truths. So, you know, who's to say that the Western canon is worth reading? Who's to say that European or American culture offers more possibilities for, you know, human flourishing than that of, of Iran? Um, and, and you talk about this in that 2008 book that, that students would often insist upon relativism in one breath, but then be really censorious and, and rendering absolute moral value judgments in another, yet without perceiving the contradiction. So I, I wonder, you know, in the shift to 2022, is this still the case? Is the woke religion uh, more coherent? Um, does it really embrace uh, uh, something that goes beyond relativism? I think that the woke religion certainly surpasses uh, relativism, a kind of liberal relativism of let's not believe in anything too strongly, let's all get along, let's not push any values too hard, live and let live kind of thing. I think what we see in the woke is that that, that sort of liberal soft relativism, it doesn't work. It doesn't feed the soul. It has no spiritual content and people want spiritual content. I think that the young, the, the woke young are looking for purpose and meaning in their lives. They realize that uh, in that relativistic world, yeah, getting on Facebook, having fun, building your friend network, it's all about the present moment. It's all about instant responses to things. It's all social and it pulls people away from moments of solitude and contemplation that put them in touch with more solid realities. The deeper gods, <laughs> the, the strong gods as, as Rusty Reno mm -hmm. will put it. Uh, and that what we see with the woke, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got the activists and, and the, you know, the, the, the impresarios of woke, you know, that, 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 that sort of core few, like the founders of Black Lives Matter. I, I don't mean them. I mean all of the, the fellow travelers of woke, the people who actually sort of willing to go along with identity politics. Uh, they, uh, in, among the young, the millennials, what we see, this is sort of a later stage of liberal relativism, which enters into, again, that the hunger, which doesn't know where to go to be fed, to be fed properly, to be fed well. And I think it does play into the, uh, the social media worlds of the young, in that one of the crucial things I, I mentioned a moment ago, one of the crucial things you must do when you, you are young is learn to be alone. Contemplation can't happen when you are diverting yourself with, with uh, the back and forth of social contact. Religious Leaders know, Jesus knows, he has to pull away. He's got to get away from everyone. Now he, that he gets away in order to be with the father, but anything to pull them out of the social circuit. So this is time for silence, for prayer, for reflection, for examining yourself a little bit outside of that immediate back and forth and, and the pattern 
of youth stuff. And that they, they find that it's not satisfying. Relativism doesn't do it for them. What is identity politics, political correctness, the woke? It's a deeply moral vision. It's a twisted one, but it's solid. It gives you good guys and bad guys. It gives you a, a, a historical model. The past is a time of injustice. The future will be a time of justice if we fight for it. There, there, there is providential meaning that enters into their lives when they go out and join the march for Black Lives Matter. For once, they can get involved in a movement, a cause, a metaphysics that is more than building their friends network. It seems real to them in a way that uh, sort of the, the, the do your own thing, hang out, you know, do your daily me as it used to be called back in, back in 2010, in which you're able to fabricate your own wonderful affirming, self-affirming world with the right friends and, and, and the, right, the right news feed so you don't have to encounter anything disagreeable or contrary. Here, I'm getting into a bigger movement, a bigger reality. There's, there's the purpose. There is where I can find the meaning of life. And I mean, you know, Brian, you know, back, back in the mid 20th century, there was talk about man's search for meaning, existentialism, you know, where are we in the universe? Those questions kind of went away for a while. I think they're coming back with, with this, but they're coming back in the wrong way because we took the legacy of civilization away from the young when they, when they needed it. The boomers, we still got the remnants of that, you know, the great American novel, Western Civ, you know, the greatness of Shakespeare and Mozart, it still was, was there a little bit when we were young. Leonard Bernstein doing his, his young people's concerts in the 60s, which were fabulously popular. I mean, he's doing Mahler for 10 year olds. It was amazing and people loved it all across the country. It was a sensation. The young today, they don't get anything like that. Well, and, you know, I, yeah, I wonder how much that um, really, it, you know, makes me just wonder whether we can develop as a culture, a, a kind of healthy use of technology. Um, that, you, you know, there, you, you look at something like TikTok and, and you have these fragments of meaning. Um, you know, how is that going to do justice to the, the search for meaning or, or complicated technical subjects? You know, there's, 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 uh, viral videos that are out there with, with uh, Zoomers, you know, demanding to know why inflation can't just be curbed by the government saying, don't let it happen. <laughs> um, you know, there, there is a kind of uh, expectation that everything can be handled in, in, you know, some kind of top-down immediate fashion that you can just make your will reality. Yeah. Um, yet, a, you know, so, so how much of that, I guess, is, is again, a consequence of just an educational breakdown, which is really what you've been talking about, or, or how much of it is, is being fed by um, the proliferation of these technologies. I guess these two things uh, can, can work in tandem, um, but what do we do about it? What, what kind of a, a, you know, a practice can we develop that might steer people in a, in a healthier direction? The, the technology 
is very hard to combat. For one thing, it came in so quickly. It, it hit our society. I mean, Web 2.0, it was like a tidal wave. It inundated everyone and the kids picked it up very quickly. And what they did was, when, when I said they went into their bedrooms, they were, again, able to create a reality in which you can stop inflation. Just, just stop it. I mean, the, the world would accord with their wishes when they were in that, in that bedroom. It was a utopian space. So that if you're on Facebook with someone, you got 400 friends, and one of those friends starts saying things you don't like, Brian, what do you do? You unfriend that person. They, they've been canceling since they were 12. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could block anything you didn't like. You just block it out. And, that's, and, that, and that was the wonderful thing about these, these tools for, for the 15-year-olds. And then the educational breakdown you refer to, the, the mentors, my colleagues, my generation did not insist, stop, put down that phone, close the screen, log off, turn, on, t- turn out, <laughs> tune off, right? Uh, tune out. And they, they, my generation didn't want to do that because all the men, most of the mentors, most boomer mentors in, in mentor positions are liberal. And liberals don't want to condemn people for their cultural choices. They don't want to judge. They don't want to say uh, rap music's garbage. I'll say it, but they don't want to say that. So they would not exercise their mentoring roles. And that's why you asked for what do we do? And, and if there's any way to use the technology, well, if you take an example like Jordan Peterson, right, his YouTube videos were a sensation for the young. And what that showed was a way, I mean, in a way, it's just sort of watching TV. It wasn't a very innovative use of the technology, but his lectures really struck a note on the Bible. He's talking about the Bible, ancient myth. Social psychology is bringing all all that Peterson stuff into discussions and the 16 year old, mostly boys, because boys are the vast majority of YouTube audience, mostly boys, they loved it. They ate it up because here was a mentor talking about the deep questions, the meaning of life. What are you gonna do with yourself? And they responded because they were hungry and they weren't getting it in their classrooms. They weren't getting it on with, with their with their friends, their buddies. That's cause for optimism. This sour mood of the millennials now shows this isn't working for them. They should have gotten better. We failed them. The men, the mentors, uh, uh, boomer and ex mentors, failed the millennials. That's why the first sentence of this book is, "What have we done to them?" You know, we got rid of all the requirements of Western civilization. We didn't talk to them in college about beauty, the elevation of taste. We didn't talk about great love stories in any kind of passionate way to pass along to them. What do we do? We say, well, let's all be critical thinkers. Let's do more problem solving. Ugh, what a bore. And I, mean, I mean, the kids just sat there and then say, okay, college is for fun and, and for getting a job. But as for the, the sort of the humanistic development, the civic development, the improvement of my aesthetic sense of things. Forget it. They didn't get that. And now, and now they're, they're feeling the pain. Well, 
it's a, it's a very, very interesting um, updating of your argument, uh, Mark. It's called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. It's available now. Uh, so don't forget to check that out. We'll link to it in the description. Uh, Mark has also written for City Journal from time to time. We're always welcome, uh, welcoming of his contributions. Uh, you can find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. Um, and as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. Mark Bauerlein, thank you very, very much uh, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.